time for the Isles Nation podcast with your host, Pete. Welcome into the Isles Nation podcast. Here we are once again, fresh off another New York Islanders loss. They've lost two straight. Joined today, as usual, by my good buddy Lawrence. Lawrence, not good times right now. How are we feeling? I've been better, Pete. I've definitely been better. It's uh, It has not been not been the, the, the greatest stretch of about a week now. You coming over to the dark side yet? I'm not on the dark side, but I am also not very happy. So we're not very far away from that, I, I, I'm afraid. What, what What's bothering you? What don't you like? I mean, everything. They're, they're getting their shit kicked in, in terms of um, just the actual play of the game and who's controlling the game and, and, and everything like that. Aside from spurts of, 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 of a little bit of offensive pressure, they're just getting worked. Um, they're not disciplined. They're losing coverage in their own zone. Coach is fucking Amelia Earhart levels lost. I, I it's it's been rough. I mean, you're telling me. Just looking back at the last week, you got what I would say is the potentially the least impressive three nothing win in the history of hockey to start off. Uh, the stretch of games you haven't covered yet. You mean like you look at that score, you're like, oh, nice, nice, solid win. You actually watch that game and you just want to throw up. It was so bad. Like. I believe you scored on our first two shots, and after two periods, we had like three goals and five shots or something like that. Just absolutely disgusting. Obviously, Varley was on top of his game that night. Posted a shutout. Washington's not very good, so we got away with it. But it was just brutal. And, I mean, at this point, you want to say just collect points anyway you can get them. Points in October and November mean just as much as points in March and April. But you got to want to see the team grow and look better game in and game out. See that they're building on something. And starting with the Washington game, I know we won the game 3 nothing. It's one of those games where you burn the tape, take two points. But with this team right now, I just can't do it. It was just a continuation of what we've seen the last couple of weeks. It was, especially the first period, that might be the worst I've seen them get outplayed in, I don't know, four or five years. It was just, the Capitals were completely, completely dominating. Everything from possession to shots, to the pace, just everything was capitals, with the exception of the two shots the Isles had on goal. It, it, it was comical. And Varley, you know, give him credit, he was faced with a good amount of action, and he played well. And I'm actually shocked that the final shots were 32-21 to 21 in favor of Washington. It seemed like it was more than that, but that was one of the worst games we've seen them play in a very long time. So definitely you just take that win and and count your blessings and move on. And then you move on to Saturday. And Saturday, I don't even know how to begin to explain this one because they came out to a 3 nothing lead early in the second period, and they were playing well. They were generating chances. Barzi was moving it. Dobson was moving it. They were creating chances. They were keeping pace with Carolina. And then, I don't know if you want to call it score effects or coming back down to earth, but I believe the Islanders ended up giving up 101 shot attempts that game. 48 shots on goal, and of course, they blew a 3 nothing home lead to lose 4-3 in overtime. And for me, the highlight of that night was obviously when I went a little off the rails and started questioning Sorokin on Twitter, and I got bombarded by uh, Isles Nation followers. And at no point was I blaming Sorokin for that loss. Obviously, 101 shot attempts, 48 shots on goal, those, are, those numbers are a caricature of an NHL team. And Sorokin, while not as brilliant as he was in the last couple of years, has been plenty fine for this team to win games. The big overarching theme there is that if Sorokin is going to give up four goals 
and still make 44 saves in the process. And if he's giving up four or five a night and the takeaway every night is he played a good game, what the hell are we doing here? This is worse than Doug Waite level hockey. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was just, you had a 3 nothing lead and then Kyle was just like, all right, let's wake up and win this game. And they did it just like that. The frustrating thing, first of all, is it seems like this is a team we just never beat. No matter what, you go into the game and it's like, we're going to be outmatched. We don't match up with them well. They're going to beat us. Maybe this will be the game. But it just never happens. And especially when you're giving up a 3 nothing lead and, and losing 4-3 to three in overtime, it, it, it makes it even worse seemingly. The thing with the Sorokin performance that game is I don't understand where, like, why people can't see that it it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, as much of a Sorokin supporter I am, I think you can say that, yes, he faced basically 50 shots, 101 attempts. He did great in that respect, but also some of the goals that went in sucked, which is the truth. Even I was saying the overtime goal from Ajo, like, he, he was looking directly at him. It was an on-the-ice five-hole goal. It's the same type of goal that Ranton and scored. And sure, you can say in that instance, maybe the shooter does have an advantage because they're all alone. They, they've got the look and everything like that, but that's still a goal he should stop. And I, I tweeted about that and people were, were getting on my case for that. So I think you can say that he did well for the volume he faced, but there were still some of those goals that just should not have went in. And that's the frustrating part. That's what's going to be a problem if, like you said, he's given up four goals a night, even with this workload and... You know, this team is finally scoring more than one or two goals a game. They're still not going to be able to do that because they're they're not structured, even though there has been a little bit of an uptick in offense and their creativity. So it's not from that standpoint, it's not good. And and Lord knows they're not helping themselves along the way with some of the penalties they're taking and the times they're doing it. So they've got to clean a lot of shit up. And, you know, there's part of it that's on Sorokin. I don't fully blame him, but the the, the problems are are plentiful and it it's not just him it's 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 all over the ice i mean if you take a macro view of the season as a whole right now through eight games the islanders at five on five have a save percentage of nine three nine six that is the sixth best mark in the league i'm sorry not through eight games through 11 games i'm not very good at this bad thing but um the islanders have a save percentage of nine three nine six so i said sixth best in the league it really cannot get much better. I mean, if you're expecting or hoping that goaltending improving is what's going to fix this, that is putting your hope in the wrong basket. Because the Islanders, for all that we've been saying, like, oh, Sorokin probably can mix in a few more saves based on what we're used to. And Wally's obviously been tremendous, even though he came back down to earth a little bit last game. You cannot ask much more from your goalies than them stopping 94% of the shots they face at 5 on 5 It's just... They are giving up way too much, way too much high-quality chances. You look at their expected goals against per hour. The Islanders are currently one of the worst teams in the league, the fourth worst team in the league, actually. company they're keeping are the San Jose Sharks, who just got their first one of the year, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Columbus Blue Jackets, Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators. It's not teams you want to be surrounded by in terms of a defensive metric. They are giving up 3.12 expected goals in the A at 5-on-5. Five you throw another goalie two on special teams every night and you're, you're looking at four or five goals a night. It's just unsustainable and there had been no signs of it improving. Like you ran in there three nothing win against Washington. They did not win that game by shutting down the Capitals and suffocating them to death. They won that game getting outplayed and taking advantage of a winning the goaltending battle and taking advantage of a lesser talented team. There's not much to be excited about here. And I know you're going to say, oh, they're scoring goals. It's not worth the trade off at all, at all. 
This team is not talented enough. I've said it so many times in this podcast, Jordan only had seven episodes. They're not talented enough to play the type of game where they're exchanging chances and going up and down the ice and changing chances with teams like the Devils and the Avalanche, even the Wilds, who aren't the most talented team in the league. There's more talent up there with Caprisa and the like than anything we have on our team. So, yeah, I mean, is that what we want to do? Because Islanders are seventh or eighth in the league in terms of expected goals created. So they are creating chances. It's the polar opposite of the way they play on their battery drops, which means this is just, I don't know why, why they did this, but they completely changed their team identity. And obviously it's not working. The thing that fucking sucks about them too is I'm going to mention the scoring, but not necessarily in a positive way. It's because, yeah, they're scoring a little bit more, but it's like anytime they improve one aspect of the team game, something else suffers. So you're really you're never really gaining any ground because if you're going to be scoring more but giving up this many chances and and working having your goalies work this hard of course you're going to be giving up more than you can even score even with that uptick in scoring and you know back to the goaltending we have the you know the, you said five and five they have the nine three six we said we needed them at a nine twenty well you know small sample size but they're above that right now granted Varlamov is playing at a rate which we can't expect him to stay at. And Sorokin's playing at a rate where we have to expect him to improve. So I guess they're going to meet in the middle, or at least they should. But even still, as a whole, we're getting the save percentage we talked about. So where are the issues? They're everywhere. They're with the coaching. They're with the discipline. They're with knowing where to be just in your defensive zone. There's so many different problems now that I don't even know how you fix one and something else doesn't suffer because it seems like that's that's just what's happening now. So changes have to be made. And and they're as bad as they've played. They're lucky to be five three and three. I mean, they're still in the mix. They're not lost yet, but they're not going to be able to hang around playing this way for very much longer. It's worth noting about that five three and three. They played eight of their first eleven games at home. They have yet to beat a team that made the playoffs last season. All five of their wins have come against teams that missed the playoffs last year. Uh, they have a trip to Boston coming up tomorrow. That's slightly lost, and then they're. Come home for a game, and they're heading out west. The west trip, teams out there are struggling, but it's never an easy trip. And obviously, they're looking at the Islanders as an opportunity to potentially get ranked themselves. They've had a very, very easy schedule through the first three or four weeks of the season. They have not taken advantage at all. I mean, if you start the year basically barely traveling, getting a bunch of cupcake matchups, only one back-to-back, they had an opportunity to get out to a lead here and try and play the season from, from ahead. You haven't done that. It's just, it's just not good. I mean, like you said, you can look at that and be like, oh, what are they talking about, man? They're five, three, and three, blah, 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 blah. Just watch the team play and apply a deeper analysis to what you're watching. Look at the numbers, the underlying numbers. Look at the big picture in terms of who they've beaten. And it's just not good. Not good at all. A part of that, too, that's even more nauseating is that, like you're saying, they haven't beaten the playoff teams and it's, they've been in and, in my opinion, at at least one point in each of these games, able to beat or at least should have should have been able to do something to hang on to a lead and beat the Avalanche, the Devils, and the Hurricanes. Those were games that they either had leads or they were controlling at points where they should have been able to, you know, put their foot down, really just just buckle down and do the right thing and play a smart game and not just this whole Lane Lambert play not to lose bullshit, but but play the game like you have a lead and like you know you can win it. There's there's got to be a confidence and a swagger to that, and they don't have it. 
they they get all this jump. They go on these little runs. They score two, three goals in, in a relatively short clip, and you think everything's rolling, and then it just – everything gets pulled out from under them. So there's something it, – it has to be mental because they obviously are showing that they have the ability to do things. They're just – nothing is nothing is sustaining, and it's 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 worrisome. And you talk about the mental issues. It's It's something new every single night. Last time I put the game on, I go to check on dinner and, and the Wilder are bought nothing. I think it was 19 seconds in. Literally, you didn't even sit on the couch yet. The Islanders are down one, nothing. No one's in the arena yet. Everyone's still online getting into the place. You're getting the beer. Islanders are down one, nothing. Blowing a three, nothing lead. No. Getting out shot 50 to 20. Dumb penalties. Just name it. Every single issue that you could tie to coaching, the Islanders have had it. We said it last episode. I think the seat's getting hot. You you kind of didn't back me up there when I said that I think that seat's getting hot. It's been a week a week since we last talked. You can't deny it now that seat's warming up, man. That seat is getting warm. It's definitely getting warm. I, I definitely can't deny it. Now, granted, it's only been a week, but there's been three three games that amount of time against two division opponents and an out-of-conference team that they should have beaten. And the even more ridiculous thing, too, with the game against the Wild last night, first of all, of course, it's it's Pat Maroon who scores of all people 19 seconds in. But we're talking about Lane with his decision to not start Varley the next consecutive game after a shutout. He's put space in between them. And we're saying, you know, oh, these players know, because obviously they're aware, they know when these goalies have a shutout streak going. They play harder. They try to maintain that. That's in their head. And, you know, on the broadcast, Butch and Brandon are talking about how, you know, Varley's the hottest goalie in the league right now. And they just cave in 19 seconds. So, like, it just makes us not look stupid, but it's like all the things we're saying that, like, oh, yeah, for sure, these are professional athletes. This will be the mentality. They're going to pick it up and kind of buckle down a little bit in these certain situations because of what it means and so forth. They're just not. So it has to come with coaching at this point. They're not prepared mentally, and that's that's what the coaches do. I mean, it's varying degrees, the significance of coaching in each sport, which we've also mentioned, but it, ultimately the players are the, are the ones playing the game. But the coach is the one that puts them in the right mood. He, he instills that 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 drive, that 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 need to play harder or buckle down in certain situations, or tailor your game to whatever's going on in terms of are you on a streak, are you playing poorly lately, like adjust their mentality and get them motivated in different ways. And it just seems like it's completely absent. So he it's he has to be on the hot seat. I just don't know to what extent that's happening behind closed doors because it seems like every time we think somebody is going to be, you know, their job's going to be in jeopardy or it may be their time. It just seems like the opposite happens. They just end up getting extended or something. So, you know, who knows? But I would have to imagine that if they care about winning, it has to be a conversation that is happening right now and there has to be a timeline. It can't be too late because there's no point to do it later in the season when it's lost. You have a team that you've built to still compete and win. So you have to try to make that happen. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is Lane Lambert's fault. No, Lou Amarillo's fault. I mean, Lou hired the guy. And let it be known, he hired the guy in an offseason where, I believe, Bruce Cassidy changed teams, Pete DeBoer changed teams, Jim Montgomery changed teams. That's three elite coaches. Lou didn't even look their way because he wanted to keep Lambert, who, I mean, at the time, I guess, was a hot shot in the coaching community in terms of being an up-and-coming potential head coach. But obviously, Lou Lamarillo built this team to win now. And when there are high-level coaches like DeBoer and Cassidy and Montgomery changing teams, all three have taken their teams to conference. Or, well, Montgomery's taking his team to a record-setting season. DeBoer, and Ka- DeBoer took his team to a conference final, and Cassidy won a Stanley Cup. And the Allies have Lane Lambert. Like, that's on Lou, man. 
you put you put it out there that this team's ready to win now, and then you let these high quality coaches just go without an interview because you were set on your ways. Obviously, we'll never know what happened with Barry, but yeah, they certainly fired Trotz early enough that they could have participated in the coaching carousel that summer. They just didn't do it because they were set on their guy. And I, right now, it looks like a big swing and miss by Louis Lambs. With Lambert, too. And I'm sure that with all the time he's spent at different levels of hockey coaching and the time he spent under Barry, I'm sure that he is a good coach and he probably has his own systems that will work. But maybe it could just be as simple as this isn't the right roster for Lane. You know, not everybody, well, there aren't many people at all that are like Barry Trotz where you can bring him in from a cup-winning Capitals team that's all about offense that he taught to play a little defense but kind of worked it out to bring him into the team that he was given. I mean, you're talking, they're 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 padding that roster after the nobody left for Toronto with guys like Phil Pilla, who by all means had a great career and is an effective player, but it was later on, and Komarov, and you're, you're they're plugging in this team. Nobody expected that team to do anything. And three of the four years that Barry's here, they make the playoffs. Two of them, they're going to the conference final. And he did it with a team that, we're seeing now with Lane, since it's not very different, not everybody can do that with. So, you know, Lane in his own right has probably earned his credentials, and I'm not going to sit here just completely trashing the guy because he's put his time in, but this may just not be the roster for him. And if that's the case, I would think Lou would have more pride in being able to say he's got a winning team than just being like, oh, well, this is the coach I picked. I better stick it out because it's the one I picked. Like, okay, fix it and pick a new one. Like, don't you want a winner? I I know you've won cups, but like you're talking about your legacy and you're getting close to the end, whether that's this year, next year, three years from now, whatever it is. But you don't want to go out on a note where teams are just crashing and burning. So I don't know where that pride, why the pride isn't in the sense of like, all right, let me just make sure we get this right rather than, oh, I'm going to stick with this answer because it's who I took, you know, a couple of years ago. It just shouldn't be that way. I'm not saying Lane has to get fired tomorrow, but you need to... There's got to be a deadline at some point, a couple of weeks, where everybody talks about the Thanksgiving break being that that point where 80% of teams that are in a playoff spot at that point make the playoffs. So you don't have a lot of hope after that if you're on the outside looking in. Let's let's see what they do, but he, I, I think he should be on the hot seat at this point. And I mean, say what you want about Barry Trotz. You just don't get coaches like that, man. They're so rare. And it's brought me to two conclusions. One, I think if Barry's around in 2014-15 as this team's head coach, the Islanders win a Stanley Cup. And I also would have loved to see him coach the team the year before he got hired that had both Tavares and Barzell on it. If he installed some defense into that team, that could have been a dangerous team. Because if you remember, that team had like Ladd and Brock Nelson on the third line. It was a pretty good forward group that just played absolutely no defense and got horrific goaltending. So I'd like to see what kind of imprint he could have had on that team. Enough about the past. Looking forward and looking back on the Barry Trouts era, Islander fans absolutely have to get over those two conference championship teams. They're gone, man. It's over. Let it go. Right now, Islander fans are like that guy at at the bar on Thanksgiving Eve back in his hometown, 30 years old, talking to his boy about about the girls they used to talk to at Uncoupled in high school. Let it go, man. It's over. It's gone. Barry is gone. You've put on a hundred pounds since those days. It's no longer applicable. This team has gotten worse. They've lost key players like Eberly, Letty, Taves. They've gotten older. 
all those players you know they were already old at the time they were one of the older teams in the league now they're two three years older you put a shit ton of miles on those legs in two shortened seasons condensed timelines they had to play what what was it six rounds of playoff hockey in less than like 10 months you put a lot of miles on those legs very quickly it's the worst thing to have in this team right now because you look at this roster and you're like they could obviously do it man they were just in the conference finals two years ago it's obviously in there somewhere. Barry Trotz was the reason that team made the conference finals. Barry's gone. It's it's like the high school days are gone, man. Like, you got to look forward, move on now. This team is so far removed from that team. And we have now, what is it? 82 games in 2021, 82 games last year, 164 now, 11 this year, 175 game sample size of this is an average team that might sneak into the playoffs and is probably. Not much of a threat at this point when they get in. The whole looking at this team through the prism and the lens of that, those two conference championship runs is killing the fan base. It's probably killing ownership in terms of they probably look at it how fans look at it like, oh, this team was so close. This team was so close. They have it in them. Obviously, it's killing Lou because he's loyal to a fault, signing all these guys to seven-year contracts and bringing them back and bringing the same roster back every year. Those days are gone, man. They're gone. Time to move on. Let it go. I agree that that team is not this team. There's a lot of the same players, but as you said, it's a few years after. Um, it's a different identity now. Can this team get to the playoffs? And correction, correction, correction. That team had an identity. This team has zero identity right now. Zero. Zero identity theoretically is still an identity. Um, but what I'm saying is, is this team has. There are things that this team can do to get themselves to be better and to be a playoff team. How far they can go in the right circumstances, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming if everything goes right, the goaltending's better. Um, if if the the offense is a little bit more coherent, like we've seen it has, it has the ability to do and the defense can find its form, like it was a couple of years ago, they can be a dangerous team, but a lot has to happen. So I agree. You have to let go of those teams, appreciate them for what they were. This is a different team now. They can be a good team. This is not a Sharks level team where you know they're just going to be terrible and and you know it's it's which of the top five picks are we going to have but it's it's a uh, it's a situation where they have to do a lot of things right to make sure they're not in the bottom of the league and and something's got to happen in terms of like you said identity figure out what you want to do because you've got the, you know the fourth line I, I mean it, it's like they've scored goals but there's some shifts where I'm like all right the four check is sustained things are looking pretty good and then other shifts I'm like wait what in the hell like they're just dragging ass. So there's, you know, I, I don't even know. It, it you, you can't compare them to anything. They have things they need to correct. There's a lot of things that can be improved on that need to be improved on, but they're going to run out of time at some point. So something does have to change. And I don't know if it's personnel wise or just um, with philosophy, but it has to happen soon. I mean, if you think about this core, a lot of it has been in place for like a decade now. So now you're going back to Jack Capuano, who had two or three decent seasons, but by the end, fizzled out non-playoff team. Who, by the way, he by the way, he he may be open to a head coaching opportunity again. You never know. Jesus Christ. But um, so then you had Doug Waite, who was all-time LOL bad, and then you had by Barry Trotz, and now you have Lane, Lane, Lane Lambert. I mean, three out of four coaches with this group have pretty much failed or been mediocre at best. Obviously, the exception to the rules, Barry. Barry's gone. It's just, I don't know how to lay it out more clearly that those two teams were the aberration to the rule. Like, this team's not that. 
maybe Barry was still around. He convinced me that they could do something. But this team got close because they had one of the best hockey coaches of all time leading the way. Now he got average at best. If you want to give Lane Lambert some credit, if you want to consider Capuano average at best. Obviously, Doug Waite looks to be a joke slash below average. But I mean, got to give trust the credit because, like you said, going after the year where they lost to Barry's in free agency, every single prediction model. Stanley Cup betting odds. The Islanders are at the bottom. The Islanders were expected to be really, really bad when Trotz took that team over. And Lou took this team over after two hours walked. It was a miracle that they were as good as they were. Nobody expected that, which is why that season was so fun. Why we fell in love with that core. But at this point, like, the numbers and the data staring you in the face. I, you can't just keep going back to that team and thinking they have they have this upside in there. Like, the they were a goal away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals where they would have been heavy favorites against Montreal. Like, don't put that on this team, man. It's not fair to them. That's not what they are. What some people, I think, forget as well, going back to Barry's first year, is 91 on Toronto leaving us that year was a huge rallying point, not only for the fans that we saw that when he made his return with everything that was going on, but also, you know, in that locker room, Barry, new captain Anders, like, do you know they were saying, hey, look, everybody says we're going to suck. This guy burned us. He left you for, for 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 dead, basically. Nobody thinks you can do anything. Like, go out there, have have a little fire under your ass, and and go go beat some teams. Go have fun. Go do that. They don't have that anymore. And on top of that, you had the good story of Leonard that year. You know, he played fantastic, but that's a whole other part of that story of that season that was almost like, it almost seems surreal because you have this guy that nobody knew was having this issue and he was kind of getting dumped off by teams and here comes Lou and gives him his opportunity and he's loves his time there and gets a tattoo of Long Island on his neck. I mean, there were so many like behind the scenes, like 30 for 30 type of things going on that can make a team gel together. And now this year, there's none of that. What do we have this year? We have, okay, this is the same team. We have every confidence in them. They should be able to win four or five different guys this offseason got six or more year contracts uh just go out there and expect them to do it like there's no there's nothing like there's no oomph to that like the lo- the locker room is what it is those people need to be able to motivate themselves but you can see what i'm saying it's not the same situation where this is a team that i don't know if people really necessarily should expect to win with the way the roster is constructed it's certainly not top of the division but you know you want them to be competitive but there there's no it just doesn't seem like there's anything, there's no like excitement around it. There's just a lot of like, okay, this team can be good. We realize they probably won't be that good. Now they're kind of playing worse in ways we didn't expect. So it seems like the walls are crumbling in and they kind of are, which is why it's even more important that they get out ahead of this and make corrections and adjustments before things get out of hand. It's just because entering the season, you were more optimistic than I was. We both pretty much agree like this is a wild card team. Maybe they sneak into the third spot in the Metro. And then you get to the games, and it's not that it's worse than that. Like, it's pretty much what they are. It's just how stark and obvious it is that they're not a contender anymore. Like, we talked about it. I just talked about it all the time. Like, even last year, you could be like, you can write off the COVID year. Like, oh, the whole team got COVID. You start with a 13-game road trip while, while UBS is being built. You could write that off completely and be like, all right, we're running back a team that basically made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. It was a goal away from making the Stanley Cup Finals. Now you got two plus years of data in the bag, man, it's gone. And to me, it's obvious, becoming obvious that Lane Lambert, like you said, maybe somewhere out there, Lane Lambert 
gets another head coaching job being successful. I would be a little bit surprised, but based on what the numbers and based on how he wants to play, he obviously wants to play an up-tempo style of game. He wants to, you know, just get shots generated, and then he's not afraid of giving shots up the other way. And Barry, Barry knew how to win with this team. It was the exact opposite. Every year that Barry was here, they were top half of the league in terms of expected goals allowed. They weren't very good at generating chances. They played low event hockey because he knew, like, if you use the example of playing LeBron James one-on-one in basketball, obviously LeBron James is much better than I am, but there's a very, very, if I was going to beat LeBron James in one-on-one, it would have to be the best of three. If we went to best of 100, he would murder me. I would have zero chance because the less events there are, the more chance of randomness leading your way. And if there's a talent discrepancy, then obviously randomness could even that out. And Barry was well aware that this team was deficient in terms of talent. Their best chance was to lock it down, frustrate teams, play low event hockey, counterattack, hope a couple bounces go your way. Late Lambert hasn't figured that out. I don't know how. You know, obviously he must have some brain cells, but they haven't translated to that part of the evaluation just yet because he did the same exact thing to start last year. Then when he lost Barzell, he returned to Barry Trout style hockey. The team started winning games. And now this year, he's like, all right, let's try it again. As if we forgot that it didn't work last year. And I talked about this at the start of the year in the preseason podcast. I was worried he was going to do this. I, I honestly cannot believe he's doing this. He has a whole year of data and sample size behind him to show him what worked and what didn't with this group. And he's like, let's give another go. Let's see, let's see what we do this year. And obviously, if he's going to keep his job, there's going to come a time in the year where he's going to have to return to playing low event hockey and boring hockey if they want to win. But I don't understand why he's wasting time with this whole exciting brand of hockey he's trying right now. That's a good point with it, too, in terms of he saw what worked. I, the only thing I can think of is that it has to be an ego thing, right? If you're a coach and you're coming in, even though you're a guy that knows this team because you've been in a system with them for four years, but you're like, are you really going to prioritize coming in and be like, oh, I'm going to put my stamp on this team and it's going to be my system rather than being like, hmm, the guy I've been under working under for 20 years that has figured this group of guys out and understand what works for them. And I'm just going to deviate from that because now it's it's my team. Like, I don't understand that mentality. Like, I know egos play a role in everything in life to, to varying degrees, but you you see what the recipe for success is. And honestly, they've got a, a better goaltending situation than Barry really had. I mean, that first year was kind of lightning in a bottle, in my opinion, because I don't think you could expect Leonard and Grice to produce that way like every year if you had them. Like, like you said, the more sample size you have, it probably goes awry. Um, Varley had some good years, but the you know the last year that he was here was when Sorokin was kind of getting settled. So I don't know. He he's got to end up. He has to understand what works and just do that. You know, if you want to put little tweaks on it or you see things that can go a little bit a little bit different, that's fine. But you saw what worked for this team, so so why would you leave it? And the other thing too, the way the game is now, the way they structure penalties and they have, they have the referees call every little thing, every kind of obstruction or hook or lift, stick lift and whatever else. The game is obviously built for more offense, which is why Barry's system worked. He figured out a way to have a defensive suffocating system in a league where everything is designed to be up-tempo scoring speed-wise. So when you're, when you have, when you have a system that's that kind of off the board and that, and it's able to counter what everybody else is doing that's why so many teams had had problems with it. That's why they were able to, on these runs, that's why they were able to beat teams like the Bruins. That's why they were able to 
um, hang in these series and give the the Lightning, who the Lightning themselves on that run, credit to them, are are left a great market on their franchise and on the league for what they were able to do. But the Islanders gave them the best run up until, you know, the following season when they lost to Colorado. So there was a lot that was going right. There's a lot to be said about that system, especially in the league today. And I don't get it. It just, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Like you saw what worked, stick to it, make your own little adjustments if you want, but put this team in the best position they are to win. It's it's best for you and your employment. It's best for your players and their success. And it's best for the fans who are paying money to see you there. So just stop overcomplicating it. Make this like you, like the, he understands the game. He's been around it enough at every level. Just stop making everything so complex and just do the right thing. What's most worrisome for me is a world where Lee Lambert is relieved of his duties and John McLean has named the interim coach of this team. And obviously McLean has the whole devil's connection with Lou. McLean, I believe, has about 30-something games of head coaching experience. And he went like 9 and 30 or something like that. And then Lou fired him. I was like, that's enough. And then he has assistant coaching experience on teams like Arizona and San Jose over the last couple of years where he was not very good. So basically, he has a terrible coaching resume. But he's one of those guys. And if they're going to fire Lambert, he's the guy on the coach with head coaching. He's the guy on the staff with head coaching experience. Leaves you to believe he has a good chance of getting the job. But obviously, this whole speculatory world, other names out there you could look at would be Bruce Boudreaux, uh, Gerard Gallant, Aline Vigneault, Daryl Sutter, Claude Julian, Dallas Eakins, John Hines. From that list, the most appealing names to me would probably be Claude Julian, who I believe Lou also unceremoniously fired in his jersey days. So I don't know how that relationship looks these days. But he had some good results with some Montreal and Boston teams a couple of years ago. And his teams were always good in terms of puck possession and all that. So he's a name I would look at if he's still interested in coaching. Boudreaux, obviously. Seems like his team's going to be a bump when he gets hired. So maybe maybe if he's still interested, he's worth a look. Sutter would be crazy. I don't think they're going down that road. The other guys really don't interest me much. I mean, I guess Gallant also has a history of getting results in his first year. Did it with the Rangers, did it with the Golden Knights, did it with the Panthers. What are your takes on those names? I think there's any anyone that's worth making the change for right now? Boudreaux would be my number one choice. Not only has he been successful with teams, I know I don't believe he has a cup, but I but he's also a guy that these players seem to love. I mean, you remember all the spectacle last year when everything was leaking that he was gonna get fired and and everything else and how the fans rallied behind him in Vancouver. You heard about the players going into his office, you know, individually talking to him. So he seems like a well-respected guy. I think that would be great. Um, the one thing I did want to look into real quick, going back to John McLean, who I don't think would be the answer because forget even John McLean as who he is as a person. You went from Barry Trotz, right, who had Lane Lambert for a while, you know, the whole time that he was in New York. So somebody they already knew. And you're getting this kind of like lackluster performance. I would just want somebody new, even if McLean was viewed as a a good coach, let's say. But I wanted to go look at the roster of the Devils team at the time he was the head coach. And my God, it's like they had Eliash, Kovalchuk, Zajac. Back when Zajac was a you know a 44 point producer, Ralston Zubris, uh, Andy Green was actually on that team. But this was like a Langenbrunner was still there. This was a team that was. You know, good. Berdur was still there at the time. They had Hedberg backing up. Like he, he had a team with talent, and it didn't work out. 
and Lou pulled the plug early. So I would hope that that's something that could that that he would do. I just hope that uh, I'm sorry he would pull the plug early with with Lane here. But I I, I don't think McLean should be the answer, and I don't think it should just be anybody that's on the team right now. I think it's got to be a new voice. Gallant, I wouldn't necessarily want, even though he does have success in the first years. It seems like his half-life is quick, and they kind of fizzle out after that. Hines is another one that I would kind of be interested in because it kind of seems like he came out of nowhere. I know he was coaching the AHL for a while. I think he was in Wilkes-Barre before he was hired in in, in New Jersey, but he lasted a bit in New Jersey. He lasted a bit in Nashville. Those teams, were then they were decent. So I don't know if maybe he would be a good option, but I think my first choice of anything would be Boudreaux. The only thing I don't love about Hines is that Barry went in there and I was like, thanks, but no thanks. I kind of respect Barry Trotz's opinion quite a bit, you know. Especially, yeah, I don't know Kurt. for sure. I but the only the only reason I take that with a grain of salt is because you don't know if that was just a Barry like, okay, let me just build my team, not necessarily a commentary on Heinz, but maybe just the let me get my staff in here, do it the way I want, because he cleaned house too in terms of you know bringing in guys like Ryan O'Reilly, and um, you know he obviously wanted to build a certain type of leadership core in there, so I'm not sure how much of that was a critique on Heinz. You know, it might have been. But being being a new GM, you know, sometimes they want to pick their own people. So I'm not sure if that that was necessarily the case with Hines. Fair point. All right, I guess we can wrap it up with some commentary about some individual performances. I think the well, let's start with Bo Horvat, who's currently injured. I believe he blocked a shot in Saturday's game. He's practiced, skated, didn't practice, didn't play, had a morning skate, didn't participate. Don't think he practiced today. Doesn't sound like a serious injury, but like always, we never know with this team. Like, he could miss a game. He could miss three weeks. We'd never know. But yeah, obviously a big loss. It's shifted Barzy back to the center. Made our first line uh, Anders Lee with Barzy and Wallstrom. Wallstrom scored a nice goal yesterday. Immediately after I declared myself done with Wallstrom on Twitter. That was another shining moment on uh, X for me this week. But yeah, I mean, that goal right there is why we want to see him on the ice and getting opportunities that that looked like a first round pick goal scorer's goal. I mean, he keeps doing that. There's reason to get excited about him, but it's so few and far between with him. So yeah, what do you think about the uh, Horvat injury and Wallstrom's nice little goal last night? Horvat being out long term would suck. He's been, in my opinion, good to start the season. Four goals and five assists. You notice him every game. It seems like him and Barzi are comfortable playing together, so so it goes without saying I would hate if he was injured. What I will say is that Wallstrom did kind of start the game a little bit slow, so I agreed with you when you were tweeting that, but the goal was fantastic. And there were some moments, I don't know if you noticed, but there were some moments when it was Barzi, Wallstrom, and Holmstrom, and they had jump. Like That's almost the combination I would want to see if Horvat's going to be out. Let Barzi go in the middle because Barzi was still firing away in terms of how he was skating and being involved in everything at both ends. And Holmstrom looks like a guy who's just motivated now. Wallstrom got that monkey off his back, got the first goal. I think that line together could be good. The issue we'll have to go back to with that is where is Anders going to go? Because, again, he would be the odd man out there, and I don't know where they're going to put him considering what the other line chemistry needs to be. But those three together were great. Glad to see Wallstrom score, and um, you know, hopefully, they're truth truthful about Horvat being just day to day. New drinking game is to drink every time Anders leaves on the ice. The guy was never a good skater. It's getting comically worse. It feels like on a game by game basis. Like you said, he's impossible to hide in this lineup at this point. He's a team captain. Obviously, we love Anders for 
how he galvanized the troops after JT left. And obviously, he scored, what, 28 goals last year? So you'd like to think he didn't fall off a cliff that quickly. But it is noticeable. That it's impossible to miss. Like, even if you aren't, like, a huge, like, knower of hockey and you're watching, like, just as a casual observer, he sticks out like a sore thumb. It's just really bad. And you have to wonder. You know he's got to see. But how much longer of this will he endure? Will he ever start getting the Josh Bailey treatment from last year? For me, the most notable thing about Anders in a negative way, unfortunately, is the neutral zone. Whenever he's got the puck in the neutral zone, whether he's getting it flat-footed or he's even getting it skating, it's a giveaway. It's a turnover. He's either screwing up a pass or he's getting caught and he's losing the battle with the puck one-on-one. The the speed is affecting their transition, and it's going to affect any line he's on, unfortunately. I will say that when I was looking at him a little bit more just because of how much he's frustrating me lately, when they're in the offensive zone and he's battling behind the net or in the corner, he's kind of doing his thing in terms of winning battles, being able to get position on pucks, and kind of sustain. Also, he's getting in front of the net, and and he's not he's not finishing on opportunities he's getting, unfortunately, but he's he seems to be still able to, to do his part there. You know, hopefully it'll come along, but outside of the offensive zone, it, it's been awful. And you can't have him, you can't put a line with him on it out for a defensive zone faceoff, it feels like, because it's a five on four and forget the neutral zone. So something has to happen. It's the, him being the captain and him being the type of person he is. We've said it. He's, he's not going to get healthy scratched. So is it going to be a situation like we saw with Huberdo last night in Calgary, where he just sat the whole third period? I don't think they're going to do that to Anders and, and make an example of him like that. But I think you have to give him reduced playing time. But the flip side of that is you're giving him reduced playing time. He's not seeing the ice month much then you might as well have somebody else out there. I, I, don't, I don't know how they're going to deal with that, honestly. And and it, hopefully he just turns it up. I've said this before. Hopefully he starts at least chipping in some goals. So that is kind of outweighing his play elsewhere. But there's going to have to be a decision made if he doesn't. And it's going to be a hard one with your captain. Outside of Anders Wally, like you mentioned, Holmstrom's been pretty good. King of the 2-1-0, very noticeable last couple of games. You know, just need to find a spot in the lineup for him. I do think the third line with him, Pajot, and Fashing has been very good. Obviously, he's looked good in stints with Barzi up top. But like we've said so many times, it's just a, it doesn't have anything to do with Barzi. It doesn't have anything to do with Horvat. It doesn't have anything to do with Holmstrom. It all has to do with Lee and where he's killing you the list, least. That's what all this roster and lineup construction is coming down to at this point. I mean, the fourth line has been fine to start the year. That's been a welcome surprise, I guess. Second line slowed down a bit. Our boy, your boy, Pierre Engvall, he's getting towards uh, invisible territory. He had a brutal turnover last night. I mean, the honeymoon, obviously, still there. He had a nice first year with the team. Started off hot. Feels like that line slowed down a bit, and he, in particular, has been the least noticeable of the bunch. Any worries yet about Pierre? I wasn't overly concerned until that giveaway last night. That giveaway was terrible. And not only was it terrible, but... There was no like urgency to get back and fix the mistake you just made when it happened. It's almost like he just gave up on it. He's got six points, so he's contributing, but this is not this is not the Ingvall that they were paying. They're not paying him to be this, you know, kind of noticeable guy who's chipping in assists here and there. It, it's fine, but his speed, in my opinion, has not been a factor, and that's why he's here. It seems like I don't see him beating people to pucks, beating out four checks as much as I did last year. So that's the concern. And a lot of those goals he was scoring were because he was he was in on four checks and stuff like that. He was getting in on a rush, 
and he was taking shots, and it's not happening the same way. I see the effort there from Paul Mary. He's missing the net a little bit more, but I'm not worried about him because he does look like he's playing well. Brock is Brock. He started off hot. He cooled a little bit, but that line's going to be fine. Um, Aimval's got to get that first goal. I think once that first goal comes, he'll be okay. But for now, no, it's not acceptable. Not for the term you got, not for the money you got, and and what they're expecting from him. But I do think we've reached a point where we consider breaking that line out now. If it makes sense in terms of the rest of the line of construction. Like, at the start of the year, I was like, don't touch that line. Now it's like, all right, what are they really doing for us? I guess we could break them up if it helps the rest of the team, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I didn't want to touch that line initially either. But, you know, maybe that's the line you put Anders with now and just see how he how he does. Anders does have a history of playing with Brock. So maybe that'll spark something new. You know, put Ingvall with, with Horvat and Barzi maybe. Maybe that kind of gives them a little bit of a rush because we know Holmstrom's been playing final line three. So you can switch it around that way. Maybe that's something to do. But yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to them switching switching the second lineup a little bit and trying to get some new looks out there. Credit where credit is due. Noah Dobson looks like a freaking monster out there this season. I believe he's at a point per game. Had a rough first game, even a bit of a rough second game. We were all over him at the start of the year, all over him last year, all over him, but the whole Twitter thing early in the year. My man deleted Twitter and is now playing at a Norris level. Even his defense in his own play has been fine. But offensively, he's jumping into the play. He's making moves. He's cutting to the middle. I believe he has 11 points, 11 games. I mean, he leads the team in scoring. Noah Dobson, finally. I wouldn't say finally, but the offense has always been there. But very, very encouraging. First month of the year for number eight. It really is great. I'm, I'm glad that he's kind of found his way. Because anytime somebody has an incident, especially when you're younger like that, and there's stuff going on on social media and then he's deleting everything. It's, it's, you know, something's getting to his head. So good for him. He got off of it. I mean, I, to be honest, most of us can probably do with less social media, especially Twitter with all the garbage on there, but good for him. He's playing great. His, and defensively he has been what I will say, cause I didn't want to cover touch on the, on the D coverage a little bit. My goodness. Aho can't clear people out from front of the net. How often is Romanov going to be going to be going behind the net when his partner's already behind there? How many of there's been like three or four goals in the past two games that are just because there is nobody in front of the net? I don't understand what what their heads are doing. And you and I were giving Romanov, the Romanov and Pulak duo, a lot of credit earlier in the year and before the season because of how they finished and and how they were starting. But it looks like those two in particular just aren't doing shit defensively. And that's a big problem too because that's not helping the goalies. That's not helping your forwards that are maybe a little bit slow. Like the whole thing is is just breaking apart when these guys aren't thinking and they're just abandoning their 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 post basically. Yeah, uh, the going behind the net thing continues to blow my mind. I brought it up very early in the season when Dobson was having a problem with it. I mean, I just don't understand it. They can't score from. They can score behind the net. They're usually not going to score behind the net. The danger is the guy in front especially if he's wide open on a, on a quick pass from behind the net where the goalie can't react. You want to get between the skater and the net and the puck. Going behind the net takes two of those out of the equation. It's very elementary. I don't understand how this whole defense has an issue with it. Is it something that they're being taught to do? Because that just seems like it makes zero sense. Like, there's no way their coaches are telling them, yeah, just leave the front of that open and go, go apply pressure behind the goal line where a guy might score one in a million bank opportunities. They, they don't get it. The wild first goal yesterday was because Romano abandoned Maroon right in front, and Barley had no chance because he looked over the wrong shoulder. 
So, yeah, I just completely don't get it. Obviously, I never played hockey at a high level, but it cannot be something that's tall. So, yeah, I'm just as lost as you are. With, with the defenseman, too, you have, like, there's two different things you're looking at. Number one, where is your partner? And number two, what's my side of the ice? You're you're typically thought not you're taught not to chase to the other to your partner's side of the ice, and you're also taught that there's got to be somebody in front of the net. So R- Romanov is like abandoning two different theories. On that goal, Pulak was on his side of the ice. There was another player down there. Romanov not only left his post in front, but he went to what isn't even his side of the ice. So you've got two people down low, and that's why everybody was open. I don't understand why he's doing that. The only time you'd ever have a defenseman have the go ahead to double up with another defenseman behind the net for coverage is if you're on a man advantage, whether that be, um, you know, you've got the goalie pulled or or you're on the power play because you can afford it because there's still an equal amount of players. And typically in those situations, the center is a little bit lower anyway. So I, I don't I don't understand what's going on with him. And Aho, it's not as much the abandoning, but Aho is standing in front of the net with people. He's in one-on-one battles and he's not moving anyone. So not only is there a screen, but there's tips, there's people available still to shoot because he's not moving anybody it's got to be something that they 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 have to be more focused because it just seems like a lack of focus to me bro now i'm down there the first example that i can remember this being an issue and the fact that you brought it up that this is acceptable on the power play is when josh bailey left yanni Gord wide open in the slot to go make it a three-on-one in the corner while the islanders are power playing game seven against the Bay. that's when at first i was like what are they doing and then you're just like, oh, it's acceptable on a power play, but it costs a freaking season. And they'll not a three on one, though. Not a three on one, because then you're outnumbered again. Like it has to be like where there's two on one guy. You can do that. And, and then you can do that as defenseman if your center is low. That's what I'm saying. So Josh Bailey, a winger, going in to make it a three on one is an absolutely idiotic play. Just funny how I put it back full circle to the thing that we need to forget that Stanley Cup conference final team. That'll be as close as this core ever gets to winning the Stanley Cup. And obviously, they make a mistake that's currently plaguing this team right now. I guess it's a fair point to leave off at. So yeah, the Islanders, Bruins tomorrow, Capitals Saturday, and a Western road trip. God, going to be interesting next week. Not sure the exact schedule, but obviously the games will be later. So we'll figure out a date and do the podcast. Um, I'm staying up late for the games, of course. But um, yeah, let's hope that they somehow figure this out, because... It's not a lottery team. I don't think they're a very good team. They should have the ability to compete for a playoff spot as long as they don't let this, whatever this, that they're doing right now is fester for too long. It should be a competitive season. But yeah, any final thoughts, Lawrence? I agree on all that. I think the mentality for them should be, listen, we have to acknowledge we've played like shit. We have to acknowledge that we have to get better. And we know that there's a lot of things we need to improve on. However, we're 5-3-3. and So we can fix this. We're still in the mix. The thing they have going for them is the Hurricanes and Devils are not playing to a level that I would have anticipated early on. The Hurricanes have their own issues and goal now with, and you know, you feel bad for Freddie Anderson with the blood clot issue, but they're bringing in Halak on a tryout. Ranta does not look that good. Ranta's save percentage, I think we played him, was like an 874, so of course they beat us. Um, there's, There's an opportunity for them to be competitive still, and they're not gone yet. So figure it out, get your heads out of your asses as you like to make fun of me for saying, but it's the truth and stop at the stupid penalties. And I think they can be fine. It, the, the road, this upcoming road trip is going to be huge though. Any timeline yet on Jack Hughes that I missed that? I have not seen anything definitive on Jack Hughes yet, no. So obviously, if he's out Friday late at the time, that's a big blow for the Devils as well. Don't you mean? And then I will hear 
I would say real quick, the Islanders have a little gift too. McAvoy lost his appeal on a suspension, so he's not going to be playing for the Bruins tomorrow. So it's another opportunity. We will take advantage. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, have a good week, and let's go Islanders. Thanks for listening to the Isles Nation podcast. Make sure to follow Isles Nation on Twitter at NYIslesNation. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Let's go Islanders.